Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of Lean Whiskey. I'm Mark Raven, and we are joined again today by... By Jamie Flinchball. Glad to be here. You hear Jamie pouring something. We'll reveal what that something and the theme is. I've already poured mine. I'm being good about waiting to take a sip, but maybe our first sip, we will cheers. It's uh, third birthday of the podcast. I think we we forgot to mention that last time. We we forgot to recognize it all together. So yeah. you know, happy birthday, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I think every I think every bunch bunch of people uh, think this is a pandemic project. It actually started April 2019. Now I think we were able to do more of them during the uh, during the uh, the pandemic. I mean, we've this is our third episode of the year. I think originally your forecast was like maybe we can do one every two months and i think we managed to do that more often during pandemic times we did we did and we 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 used that time to bring more guests on and all sorts of other things so um uh but yeah so we picked up the pace a little bit and you know since this is more for fun than marketing we kind of get get one done when we can and uh uh so yeah I, i still remember um I think we were using Skype. Um, Did uh, we that first time? I think so. I know it wasn't Zoom. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, and I I do remember I was was in a hotel in Pittsburgh for a board meeting. And I think that's when we had the technology issues and, Mm. and uh, again, stuff that we've, we've all grown more accustomed to dealing with uh, 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 since then, but that was, that was still 2019. So So three years in. Forever ago, pre-pandemic, that seems like such a long time. And like you said, um, you know, we're we do this because we're enjoying it. And if anyone else listens, that's a that's a bonus. And you know, we 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 weren't doing this to set the world on fire. We've had over twelve thousand downloads and listens to date across those episodes. So we do want to say thank you to anybody who has been listening. We appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Just looking at uh, our, our very first, uh, very first whiskeys. Uh, our, our first theme was non-Kentucky whiskey. Um, so I, I had some Wyoming whiskey, and you had some Garrison Brothers. Um, Texas. Yep. As you're as you're known to do. <laughs> yep. And uh, that was our our very first one way way back when. So. And here we are, episode thirty-four. Here we are. So we've got, we've got, as usual, we've got a bit of a plan. This isn't scripted by any means. And we're going to start off talking a little bit about what's new. Do you want to go first, Jamie? Well, yeah, I, I think your what's new is more exciting. So why don't, why don't, <laughs> I'm going to feel, uh, I feel like an undercard here anyway. Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, well it, what's new is what's about to be new for me. Um, last, 11 days of August, we've got a vacation planned. I'm going to be, I'll talk about this maybe in in the next episode. So sorry to rub this in. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to Scotland, more particularly, we're going to be going to Isla and uh, Jura and Campbelltown 
we're going to be visiting mm. distilleries, of course. So this this has been I've been to Scotland before, but going to Isla in particular is yeah. a bucket list trip. That's for mecca. Sure. Yeah, that's mecca. That's uh for 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 Scotch lovers at least. But um, yeah, that's it. now is that is that where and I, I I'm horrible with these names. Uh, Brooklady. Yep. That's where Bruglotti is, right? You, you said that perfectly. It's a, it's, okay. a, it's a, a crazy spelling. We're, we're uh, yeah. Some of our stops include Bruglotti, Lagavulin, Lafroig. Um, we're going to Springbank in Campbelltown, which is a, a favorite yeah. as well. But you know, these are aisles that getting there involves uh, planes, boats, and automobiles instead of planes, trains, and automobiles. So we. You know, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we 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 have a guide that we've used, and and he's booked. You know, there's ferry trips involved. These are not easy places to get to. So yeah. really, really fortunate to have the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Bru- Bru- I mean, I'm a I I started my whiskey drinking not not specifically with Lafroig, but that was really one of my doorways into all of this. And um, I, uh, I I I drink Lagavulin you know, on a continuous, not a continuous basis, <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> right. But Bruglotti is one that I've, I've never had a chance to try, but I'm really looking forward to the chance to have one. I just yeah. haven't found one in the stores and, and uh, need to need to make that happen. So I've, uh, I've, I've got two bottles here. It would be great to share with you sometime. Two bottles of Bruglotti to taste them side by side. One is basically the same distillate unpeated and then the peated you know you people associate peat with isla but not everything right. that's made in isla is uh, is peated so brooklady they they mix yeah. it up sometimes and surprise you maybe with something that's not peated yeah i mean they they do say that you know because the, the water you know flows through those that that marshland and and carries a little peat with it just in the water um but uh yeah, the actual peated process, and of course the the measurement that they do around peating, uh, the peat levels. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 the aisle is known for it, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's not the only thing they do, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll come back with some process reports because we're, we're we'll be going to Gemba of not just where it's distilled, but going upstream in the value stream. See, this is why it's lean whiskey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we will get to see. Um, the malting floor, and then back downstream of that. I'm, I'm, I, I'm. Next time I'll talk through the valley stream in order, maybe. But then when they dry the malted barley, that's the point where you're either using peat on the fire or not. So I think you know when, the first time I learned that, that was a little mind blowing. That the, the 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 smoke is in the barley and it doesn't get distilled out. Right. right? So when I said a minute ago, that wasn't really precise when I say it's the same distillate peated or unpeated. It's really the same process with the same right. type of barley and whether or not that peat has been introduced at that point or not. But it, it does create end result wise, you, you can do that comparison of here's how it tastes without peat versus right. with. Because sometimes the peat can, I mean, it adds so much. It's interesting to see oh, yeah. what you taste without the peat. Yeah. No, it's uh, it'll be it'll sounds like a fun trip. Uh, of course, it helps to have a spouse who also enjoys whiskey. And <laughs> yep. I, I I do not. Um, no, I keep yeah. trying. I keep trying, but uh, 
Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely need to get over there. My last trip to Scotland, which was now quite a while ago, was a, you know, a work trip and we were in Loon, I think, Troon, Troon, uh, in Troon. Um, and, uh, but never, you know, never made it to, uh, to any, any place like that. Didn't, didn't even have a car. So, um, so yeah, missed, uh, missed out on that chance, but I'll have to, have to make that happen one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. So to talk about next time, but now more work related as we always bounce back and forth between whiskey and lean and, and work talk, you, you've been doing some fun stuff related to your alma mater, one of your alma maters. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, uh, been quite involved lately at Lehigh, um, helping, helping get launched a, a ventures lab, which is meant to help uh, mostly recent graduates uh, get their businesses off the ground that want to launch, right? So traditionally, you know, there's more and more student entrepreneurs who want to build a business, but they graduate and you just send them off into the wild. So hmm. good luck, right? And and uh, instead, it's what what help can we give them? Structure can we give them? So uh, until we get a real program together and uh, we have tons of cool support uh, from the university and and leaders, but, you know, and I'm just acting as an advisor and, mm-hmm. and, and port, but uh, we will be bringing in a director very soon. But until then, we had three three students who had recently finished their, their studies that really had some momentum and we're going to go forward anyway. And so it was a shame if we didn't support them. So I'm I'm spending about a day a week at, at, at the university this summer. Um, uh, not quite a day, but, you know, a good chunk of a day a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with these three, you know, highly energetic, fast moving, uh, just starting off uh, uh, founders. Um, yeah. But but great, you know, great, great program. And, uh, um, you know, it keeps me keeps me sharp, too. Um, not not dissimilar to what I do with, you know, experienced CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies, but <laughs> just yeah. a different just a different set of topics usually. So. Well, it's fun to be um, in in different ways or different settings, you know, around, uh, you know, younger employees. You know, I, I had the opportunity last week to go down to Austin and spend two and a half days with the team at Kinexus. And, you know, J- Jamie has been uh, an investor. I've been involved with the company in different ways for um, 11 years and um, have invested as well. But, you know, the team there, I mean, it's more than 30 people. Um, they're back into an office again. You know, we're before the pandemic, the team there in Austin was about ready to outgrow the place. So they were going to have to find something new anyway. And then with the pandemic, things have been very virtual. Now that Austin team is coming back to a, a newer, bigger, nicer office. And, you know, just to see, I mean, just the energy of that team is is really invigorating. I mean, I I, it's, I feel like it's more for my benefit the boost I get than any sort of advice yeah. or mentoring. You know, they, there there's some of that, but you know that mission is is strong. You know, spreading continuous improvement. It's not just about the software platform. And you know, Greg and Matt as co-founders have done a great job of of hiring people where even if they don't come in the door knowing all the lean lingo. They share, you know, uh, important principles and, um, and and mindsets and values. Even and then, they learn some language that a lot of people, including our customers, use. Right? right. But having that fit 
And, um, you know, they, they, they're, yeah, they're just great to be around. They're doing great work. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. That sounds like a fun, a fun week. I, I do. I mean, I have a couple of people that, that support me and, and there's sort of a mini team, but I, I do miss sort of being part of a team, you know, both, both my time at Corvo and my, my time, uh, uh, running my old consulting firm uh, with Andy, I uh, yeah I miss that that team uh, spirit. But uh, maybe just put a uh, put an exclamation mark on the idea of us talking about the young people. Um, <laughs> right. I I, I uh, my excitement is uh, we got a new mattress delivered today, and I'm <laughs> probably as excited for that as you are for your Scotland trip. So um, you know yeah. you know when you're that excited for new mattress that. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's maybe certain certain mark of age that uh, I mean not something we were normally that excited about. But yeah, that's my big day. The importance of a good night's sleep and waking up feeling refreshed in the morning. Yeah. Oh well, I, I will. I kept saying that it felt my uh, our old mattress was sort of so old. Uh, it felt like I was sleeping in a hammock. Um, <laughs> right. Not good that's for my back. So. No. Well, I hope you got a good one there. Hope so. It works Find out. out. They say like, they say thirty to forty-five days till you really get used to it, which yeah. which is why sleeping in hotels as much as I have well, uh, is indicative yeah. of you know you never get used to it, right? So. Different mattresses, different pillows, and mattresses like whiskey. A lot of it's subjective. What works for you, right? Yep, absolutely. So uh, yeah, let's get into our our whiskey since uh, since we've already raised a glass. So. Um, we're going to do, uh, uh, yeah, as we're 34, uh, episodes in finding new theme, you, you know, finding new themes is kind of difficult, even though there's so many different <laughs> ways to split, yeah. split the whiskey world. So we're going to do, um, a distillery only special bottles. So for those that have just gone to their local store and bought, bought whiskey, um, you know, what, what what they should know is that when you do visit a distillery, even a major, right, this is not mm -hmm. just the miners, especially if you go to a, I'll say a micro distillery or, or a craft distillery, mm -hmm. they might have only one or two of their bottles that they sell their expressions, as it said, mm -hmm. uh, in a store, but then they'll have 10 other things that they never do enough mm -hmm. volume in to yeah. sell in a store. You only can get them there. Now the the majors, what the majors tend to do is they'll have one, right? They'll they'll have their regular expressions mm -hmm. that you can find in stores, and then they'll have maybe one. And a lot of the majors are so popular, they 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 put a lot of limits on it, like one yeah. bottle per customer, yeah. and it's not always available. But um, uh, but yeah, well, that's I, the kind of distillery special that we're talking about. I, I think a lot of times they're trying to give a special treat. To people who have made the pilgrimage to come and visit them, they don't want people buying a case and reselling it. Right. No. They and and they know that happens, and they so so. Uh, uh, no, I'm totally fine with that rule. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair because we we've seen enough with just regular retail where hard to find stuff is gobbled up and then sold mm -hmm. at a uh, you know like Weller Antique. It's it sells for three times regular you know yeah. real MSRP. So. Um, so yeah. And if you go to, a, go to a place, pay for a tour, all those wonderful things, uh, visit the location, you want to be able to say you got something you couldn't, couldn't buy yeah. anywhere. Else. So, yeah. so, so I happened you... to be in Lexington recently and, uh, 
swung out to Four Roses. Yeah, great um, place. Great place. And and Four Roses is interesting because they really only have uh, sort of four main expressions that they that they sell. Uh, one of which is their their single single barrel. Um, but then this is their private selection uh, single barrel. So. Mm-hmm. I uh, got a nice little leather, uh, not all about the bottle, but a nice little leather uh, uh, wrap around the neck um, and uh, just opened this. So mm-hmm. only been home for about a week, um, just opened this and just had my first first couple sips. But I, I do like Four Roses. Um, it's it, it probably if I could only have one whiskey the rest of my life, it's probably not what I would pick. But yeah. It's it's smooth. It's light. It's it's often got it's, the four roses don't have anything to do with the whiskey in the bottle. Yeah, but it does often have a little more floral or uh, uh, a scent scent to it or uh, nose to it. But um, yeah, so this is you know uh, four roses only has two mash bills. Uh, one's a higher rye. This one's from their higher rye. Uh, mash bill, which is 35% rye. Um, and then they have, I think it's 10, no, five different yeasts. So they have two mash bills, five different yeasts, which actually leads to uh, you know, basically 10 different uh, ten different final flavors in, in barrels, which then get blended to create those four right. you know, main recipes. It's, but, it's a combinatorial whiskey of all these different possibilities yes. you do the math on how many different bottlings could you produce right so so this is i mean the single barrel though is only going to be one of those 10 different uh variations so in their designation this is obsf um so uh for those who are watching on youtube they might they might see that a little bit doesn't focus terribly well obsf which uh, uh is their high rye mash bill and uh the yeast that yields herbal notes um, in the taste. So, uh, and, and like I said, quite, quite good. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. happy with this. Yeah. I've done the four roses visit. Um, I think when I went there, they, at the time it was an exclusive over a release that's now widely available called small batch select. Yes. But that was just coming to market. So they were making it, available there. And if I'm remembering some of the trivia, right, because you get these details when you go there, um, for decades, Four Roses was export only. It was not available in the United States. I think it was very popular in Japan, if I remember. Yeah. So Four Roses was, it was one of the the four or six, I always forget the number, that were allowed to operate during prohibition under Mm -hmm. medicinal Mm -hmm. uh, reasons. Um, And, uh, and then, and they, they were huge, right? They were huge, huge uh, distillery, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest. And then, you know, as 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 the whiskey boom ended and people didn't drink it anymore, and they drank all sorts of other things, vodka, gin, and and wine. Uh, Seagram's bought them, uh, shut down most of it, uh, sent most of the whiskey to go get blended uh, into their other stuff, and uh, and then did sell four roses out of the country. Um, and then when they were, you know, brought back, uh, you know, when they were bought, you know, not bought back by the the founders, but they were bought by someone else. And I forget now who, uh, owns them, but they, uh, 
they they brought it back to the U.S., brought back to the Stellar Union and all of uh, all of what they were known for for back in the day. So, um, yeah, like a lot of these guys, they've been through the ringer and some of them like Old Crow that used to be, you know, top shelf. Uh, you know, got pushed to the bottom, mass production, cheap, never really recovered. I mean, they, they sell, but they've never regained their reputation. And some like Four Roses have, have come back from the, uh, from their deathbed and, um, really cool, really cool story. So I, I looked this up. Um, the parent company is Japanese. It's Kirin Brewing Company. So people might know Kirin Beer. The one distillery that I got to visit in Japan in 2019 was a Kirin distillery. People might not associate them with whiskey. So sort of like uh, Jim Beam um, was purchased by Suntory. Then you've got Kirin uh, involved with Four Roses. And, and, and there was some other history there at Four Roses. They had you know these old advertisements. And I don't know the exact time frame, but like well after Prohibition, um, for decades, it was literally illegal to directly market spirits to women in the United States. That you could not show a woman in an ad drinking whiskey. And I think you know they were talking about how then if, if the workaround, if you couldn't show a woman drinking bourbon, is that you would show images that might be seen as a this is i think a very 1950s madman view of the world so this is not me proclaiming this but they would use imagery let's say like roses in advertisements as a way of sort of trying to signal you know women please buy our whiskey too <laughs> please drink it <laughs> please drink it also yes now the, the four roses itself actually comes from uh the founder had uh uh Found her, it was was courting a woman and uh, was supposed to wear, you know, if if her answer was yes, after her <laughs> was right, supposed yeah. to wear a, a a red rose if she was saying yes. And she came out with four red roses. And so it was named. And who knows if that was true or just, you know, a good story to tell afterwards. But um, but but that was uh, uh, that was the, the history behind the, the four roses. Um, yeah. So that's uh that's mine. What about yeah. uh, what do you have there? So I am drinking. I will hold it up for uh, the YouTube audience if it. Yeah, there we go. I think it's focusing. This is Woodenville Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It's a, a distillery release. I was in Woodenville, Washington, which is north of Seattle, uh, for work a couple of months back, and had time to go pop over there and and do a taste. And this is a this was a what they call a harvest release from 2021. And that's only available there at the distillery. So it's uh, it's a five-year age statement, um, straight bourbon whiskey, 50% ABV. But then it spent some time, I think, undisclosed being finished in uh, Muscatel wine barrels. So you might think of like Moscato. It's a, it's a sweet wine. And so I think they're trying to give a little bit of uh, kind of an additional sweet finish like I'm, I'm not mr tasting tasting notes guy but i get like kind of a maple syrup not an obnoxious sweetness but i think it's it's pretty nicely balanced into what the bourbon would be without that finishing okay so I've, I've been enjoying this one excellent yeah sounds uh 
Sounds like fun. Now, now when you uh, when you travel like that, do you uh, you tend to check your bags so you can bring a bottle back? I did check the suitcase. Yes, I brought two bottles back. I brought back one that I think was port barrel finished, which is more widely available. Um, I'm I'm a wine drinker and I'm kind of partial to different wine barrel finishes, and I, I don't recall ever having uh, a Muscatel finished no, bourbon before. That was new to me. I don't think I've ever even seen that. So um, now, now Dad's Hat Rye, which I know I've brought onto the you know our our show, um, uh, and this is one of these you know specials that I've never seen in a store. They had a vermouth uh, finish um, uh, rye, and uh, uh, I did not buy a bottle of that. I, I I think I I think I should have. I think I will next time I go down there. Um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I love a good port finish. Uh, of course, sherry finishes are quite, quite common. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's 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 fun to see those other, you know, those other experiments, those other expressions uh, come through. So, yeah, sounds very interesting. And you mentioned, you know, back in our first episode, we focused on bourbons outside of Kentucky. Today, we've got a mix. You've got a classic Kentucky bourbon, and then yeah. I've got one from the Pacific Northwest, a, a relatively new producer. You can make good bourbon anywhere in the United States, and that's the thing. It's got to be it's an, Amer an American designation. Yep. Absolutely. So, awesome. Well, yep. uh, good choices. Uh, I'm enjoying mine. It's got a good... It's 106 proof, got a, some decent heat on it. So um, got to gotta take my time with it. But uh, why don't we get into our, uh, our, our topic for the day? Yeah. So uh, instead of in the news today, it's really sort of in the podcast and, and at the risk of all right, gratuitously plugging one of my other podcasts. I, I had an episode that I shared with Jamie recently of uh, the My Favorite Mistake podcast. And we, we thought it was worth, it would be a good springboard for discussions around not just entrepreneurship, but improvement and evaluating ideas. And how do you know if something is a good idea or a mistake? So I, I was able to interview the founder. Um, he had been CEO. He's now the chairman of 1-800-Flowers, uh, mm -hmm. Jim McCann. I know, Jamie, do you remember the face to the voice. He he did a lot of TV commercials in the eighties. I remember that there was one, yeah. but that's that's about all I remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, very very big breakthrough, and and uh, you know, Flowers was you know very dominant by one shop owner operator places that unfortunately were you know very hit and miss whether you would get good service, and of course if you were sending flowers to someone from a, in a town you you didn't know you you know you were you were desperate trying to find who to call to try to try to send yeah. some flowers you know so he started just the summary of Jim McCann's story he started he bought one flower shop in New York City i think it was in Brooklyn and then he was buying and more and he said basically that wasn't scaling well just having more and more physical shops um, so I don't know the history of when, let's say, FTD came to be. Like that's a big network of independent shops, but there's some branding and commonality and product. And I think if if you've had good experiences with FTD, you would trust FTD. Um, he decided, or he, he realized that there was uh, the opportunity to acquire the phone number one eight hundred flowers, 
which meant buying a company because the, the phone company assigned a number to the company. You don't really own it. So he had to buy the company to get the phone number, which you'd say the phone number is brilliant. Like he said, you know, instead of having to force people to memorize your number, 1-800-Flowers, you know, it's as easy as could be. The problem was he basically thought he could be cheap and not do due diligence. So in buying the company, yes, he got this asset. He also took on $7 million worth of debt. Whoops. <laughs> so it was an expensive purchase. It was the mistake that was hiding in the really good idea. Um but you know that's episode one seventy two. Um, I you know I think Jim McCann was really insightful. Uh, if people want to go listen to that, my favorite mistake. But he he told the story in the middle there that I thought was fascinating, and this is where we can springboard off of this. Um, early on, when they were starting to do shipping of flowers, not just fulfilling from local um, florists, Fred Smith, the founder of FedEx, told Jim McCann that shipping flowers via FedEx wouldn't work that it would be a mistake, that it was a bad idea. And I think there's there's kind of a fun irony there when all sorts of people told Fred Smith that FedEx itself was a mistake, right? right. This is taught in business school, how people poo-pooed FedEx, right? Right. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, and, 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 you know, Fred Smith had his own... Uh, pivots and what he thought the opportunity was. I, I know I think they focused on legal documents for for quite a while. Uh, just trying to get documents back and forth and and uh you know had had some sense at least about what what worked and what didn't work in terms of shipping. Uh, even though they were operating quickly, right? They, you know, they they were still trying to jam as many packages into a into a plane as possible. Um, but yeah, when somebody uh, somebody in the business that would benefit from you, you know, basically Fred Smith, I'll take your money, right? I'll ship some stuff for you. Uh, but he's still said, you know, it, it wouldn't work, which I, I, I think is, is very interesting. And, and I think flies, you know, I'll say it flies in the face of the typical, uh, you know, that won't work pushback because the, the, Sort of status quo of advice is when you get pushback on an idea that you believe in, just go find somebody else, <laughs> right? Yeah. But this this still was a, you know this still was about you know McCann and Smith's partnership, and so he didn't find somebody else. He basically ultimately, I guess, convinced. Well, well, Fred it Fred. might it might be one of those things where let, let's try it and see. I yeah. mean, sometimes you have to do that, um, whether it's trying to launch a business or launch a product. If you can do that test of change, which to me think reminds me of continuous improvement, right? If it doesn't seem dangerous or illegal, at some point just go test the idea because it's easy to be a naysayer. It's easy to be just blindly um, optimistic about about your own idea. I mean, but it's interesting you mentioned legal documents. I mean, if they had defined the company as we ship legal documents, they would have been put out of business by the internet and DocuSign or things like that. Right. Sort of like um, you think of you, you were going to mention Netflix. I mean, if they, if Netflix had defined itself strictly as we ship, we mail DVDs to people, that wouldn't have been a lasting business. But t tell us more. I mean, you you had thoughts about um, about Netflix there, right? Well, yeah, because I mean, a, a lot of a lot of this theme is going somewhere that has going somewhere with an idea that is not yet 
uh, come to fruition, right? So, so not being a fast follower, but but bringing something into existence that doesn't exist yet. So, so so Netflix has been an example of that really twice, um, and and you could argue maybe three times, but uh, you know they they were uh, they started off with basically uh, mailing DVDs, right? And and uh, the, the whole idea was. You know, you get a customized DVD uh, video experience. You get to pick stuff that you really want, um, what you're interested in. It shows up at your door, and you don't have to, you know, drive to Blockbuster and all of those things. Yeah, and I I was a a customer of that service 20 years ago when I first got a DVD player, and the selection of Blockbuster maybe wasn't that good yet. They still had a ton of VHS. Yep. Yeah. So I I I wasn't. um, I, I assume I. I, I was probably just still using Blockbuster at the time, yeah. Um, but but yeah, they, you know, so so much where they knew and everybody thought you can't can't ship these things back and forth. Um, that that Blockbuster had a chance to buy them early on mm-hmm. and turn yeah. it down, right? Yeah. And, and and that was a mistake. So they had this idea that nobody believed in Blockbuster, who was even inside the industry. And it wasn't they were poo-pooing their competitors' idea. They they like I said they could have bought them. They they turned down that chance, and it, and that almost killed Netflix. But then they did it again with with uh, really investing in streaming, um, not not because they needed to. In fact, at the time when they started making that switchover, the bandwidth wasn't even suitable to stream. Like very few people had enough bandwidth that streaming was going to work. But they started going there uh, before it was feasible, let alone uh, a good idea, right? And so, so they invested. They invested early, and then I'll say the third time, maybe, and I just don't my, know my history well enough. Is uh, they were, if not the first, one of the first to say, you know what, content is what we're really delivering. We're going to invest our own studio uh, and, and start to develop our own content. So. Um, so so yeah, they're they're sort of, and I know they're struggling now, right? Um, but they, uh, they've had a decline in subscribers, and that's one of those things. Like you know, Peloton was another example of seeing a, a spike in demand during the pandemic, and then you start extrapolating that, I'm like, well, some of that turned out to be a mistake. More painful when it's physical products, perhaps. You know, they they uh, Peloton, not to get too sidetracked on them, they made the mistake of building this enormous factory in Ohio that I, I read the other day will probably never be used by Peloton because they really overestimated demand. And, you know, good on them that they were going to try to build, assemble these in the US, but the demand, the demand spike was not sustained. Right. Yeah, so I think you know if you go look at you go look at Fred Smith, you look at uh, Jim McCann, you look at Netflix. These are all companies that the core of what they did for their customers, right? Their value proposition was ahead of its time, and I only mean that you know they weren't so far ahead of their time that they 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 fell flat because that that happens too. Uh, they were far enough ahead of their time that their customers weren't asking for the solution they were providing yet. Yeah. Uh, but they saw the value. They saw the value beyond the customer's words, beyond the customer's intent, and were able to create something when a lot of people thought it was a crazy idea. And that's and that's the balance there. Of you know, if you do anything new or innovative, there are people who are going to poo-poo it. Um, some things are e- more easily tested 
at a smaller scale than others. Um, yeah, how much of an investment? I mean, you know, when it comes to streaming, that was probably is that type of thing that required a big upfront investment, even to to even test it for real at all. Like with content, they could develop a couple of films, they could develop a couple of series as a small test of change. And I think they had some hits and they had some success and then they could go more broadly. Uh, Amazon bought, uh, did they buy what did they buy Paramount or universe? No, they bought universal Amazon MGM. That's what it is. Sorry. Yeah. But Amazon bought a studio right after doing their own experiments and small tests of change with producing content. But yeah, you're right. That's, that's an interesting those are two interesting pivots that they've gone through. Yeah, and I, I think you know the whole idea. You know, why are we talking? It's 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 one thing for a big giant company, and again, we forget that Netflix wasn't always a big giant company. Um, but you know, it's one thing for a big giant company to make such a bet, right? But you know, for a lot of our listeners that are just in the in the lean world or in the process improvement world. There's still such there's still a such thing as a crazy idea, right? And you know, I just uh, I'm at an adjustable desk, but the idea of a stand-up desk, um, other than for tellers and certain other you know certain jobs where it's pretty common, you know, for for most people, the idea of a stand-up desk being a good thing um, was a crazy idea, right? So it doesn't matter what level we're talking about. Uh, you know, crazy ideas can get dismissed way too early, right? By us, by by the people that have them, um, by the people they're trying to sell them to, or the people that they need to uh, get on board so they can move forward. And so it's a it's, it's a very common experience. I think we've all been on both sides of that. Uh, meaning we've we've had a crazy idea that got squashed uh, before it came to fruition. Or we've been the one squashing the crazy idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back 11 years ago when Kinexus was just coming to market, you know, the co-founders had a vision. They had a belief that, you know, a a web-based system would be helpful for continuous improvement. There were far more people back then saying, no, 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 people aren't going to use that or people shouldn't use that. But at some point, you only need enough who agree, right, to get started. You don't, you're not going to have everybody become your customer. But now, as 10 years have rolled by, there's been more acceptance of digital platforms, especially in larger companies, as more people are working remotely. You know, people started building their own version of a digital platform. I still think our biggest competitor at Kinexus is we're going to build something in SharePoint. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I totally agree with that. You could do um, that, or you could buy a commercial solution that you configure. So there's more and more people coming around, yeah, you know, to, to that vision. I, 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 you know, at the time I believed in it, but there's that question of like, is this a bad idea, or are we a little bit ahead of the curve? Only time will tell. Yeah, and 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 how much how much do you want to stick with it? Um, you know, I, I think Kinexus is interesting because. Again, do you need to convince everybody? No. I mean, we were you, you you were competing with free, right? And that's that's really the interesting thing is, you know, what did people do? They they put up whiteboards. Um and uh there there was a there was a company I can't remember. I know I know I spent quite a bit of time promoting them. Um 
but it was, uh, they, they did customizable whiteboards. Um, huge catalog, right? We, we, we just about carried their catalog around with them, with, with us, because it was such a, a powerful tool to have all these different whiteboard configurations and, and tools. But, and so that wasn't totally free, but, you know, most people had a whiteboard and you take some masking tape and you have a, a, a chart uh, up on a wall. And, and so you're competing with free, right? Um, and so to then go ahead and say, no, 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 we know people can solve this problem on their own for free, but we think this is so much better that people are willing to pay for it. Um, it, it takes some it takes some guts to proceed and, and go forward. But, you know, as you said, you only need a couple people to believe that it's worth getting started. And then you can see where things go from there. Um, but you have to be willing to know what you're willing to risk, sacrifice, uh, or put up with in order to bring your idea to fruition. Um, you know, again, whether, again, whether that's a, a new business idea, in which case what you're giving up is maybe money and a few years of your life, which is a big ask, um, or just an idea that you believe in that you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to push for a while and maybe get looked at funny and get criticized a few times. And that's what you're willing to risk or sacrifice or put up with in order to bring your idea. Yeah. But there's a cost to it, right? Either way, there's a cost to it. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, I, I think I'm remembering this properly. I think part of Jim McCann's point with his story was this generalized advice. I'm curious what you would think to this, Jamie. If somebody's not telling you this idea is crazy, that maybe you're not being bold enough in terms of a new company or a new service or a new product line. Yeah, I I I believe in figuring out where the line is by by bumping into it, right? Um, not always. I think there's a, a time and a place, but um and a way in which you do it respectfully, et cetera. But um I'll use my I'll use a soccer coaching analogy. I would never tell my kids, hey, I want you to get a yellow card. But if you aren't ever getting a yellow card, then you haven't figured out where the boundary of aggression is. Right? Um, I don't want you to be uh, ruled offside. But if you're never offside, are you really pushing the limits of how far you can get an advanced position? So, so that's a feedback loop, right? Use it. Use it to your advantage to find out where the lines are. And, and so... Um, I said, not all risks are created equal. You have to be aware and it, it's not about being reckless. But yeah, I, I this is why I love the concept of ideal state, because if you start if you start with what's feasible, um, you'll never you'll never be aggressive enough. Right. So I and, and this won't I'll, I'll try to explain it because most of our people are listeners and not watching. If you have a filter on your ideas about what you want to do. Like what's a good idea, and and then on top of that you put another filter about what's feasible, and you try to have these two filters operating at the same time. Very little gets through, but if you can put stuff through the filter of what you want to do, sift through that, and then later put it through a filter of what's feasible, much more gets through. And so that's why I love like this, let's think about what we what good looks like and and then we can back off from there right trim trim it back until it until it becomes feasible yeah like a lot of things I mean you know 
there's the need to find balance. So coming back to continuous improvement ideas, are we when when is incrementalism okay? Incrementalism is safe, and we can go and test small changes. When do we need to try to have a bigger leap? Like when do we refine the existing process, and when do we need to metaphorically blow it up and rebuild it from scratch? Right. Yeah, I was I was uh, talking with somebody about their their layout and uh, recently, and you know it hadn't really been dramatically touched for for probably at least a decade and and so they were talking about sort of a couple of phases phase one is uh uh you know do what we do what we know we can do and phase two is a more bold you know transformation and they don't know what either is yet but but i said well don't i said two things one don't close yourself off to just jumping straight to phase two (laughs) Uh, if you look at it and you're like, yeah, this is better, then what are we waiting for? And then the second thing is, if you at least know what phase two looks like, at least use phase one to run some experiments to test how well phase two might work, right? And and so I think that's, you know, that's the idea is making sure you have a lean, a, a, a learn forward uh, a, approach to to these changes, right? I mean, FedEx... Um, you know, I'm always cautious of being too committed to a vision because you go listen to any of these companies that we've talked about, and none of them are actually doing what they first set out to do. They 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 set forward with a bold idea and then pivoted multiple times right. in the pursuit of feasible and fit. Right. Right. Um, Pivoting so, or evolving or what have you. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it still requires flexibility. I think, I think the idea of stick to your guns, hang on to your idea, don't change it, don't let anybody tell you your idea is wrong, and just be stubborn, right? Um, that often is how the advice comes off, and I think that's that's not useful advice because then you're not listening to why people are resisting your idea. I think there's a, you really have to dig in to understand what's behind people's reactions. Yeah. And bringing it back to whiskey and and the Woodenville folks here, like if somebody started a distillery totally committed to the idea of I am going to bring Muscatel finished bourbons to the world, and that's how I define my company, that would be hugely risky. And I'm not saying that's their history or their thought process. But let's say if you had a very niche idea like that, you could maybe first come to market with something that's more appealing to everybody. And then you could... At some point, you say, well, I think a Muscatel finished bourbon would be amazing. At some point, all you can do is start experimenting with one barrel and different types of Muscatel barrels from different producers or different regions. And and then at some point, experiment and try to validate the idea. And can you make it back to the startup questions of, um, you know, can I produce this and should I produce this? The technical means of doing it. Okay, sure. You could put whiskey into a Muscatel barrel and it would, you know, but then will people buy it? At some point, all you can do is test that. And maybe, you know, that distillery release is a small test of change. Right. Yeah. And I I think, you know, you see so many distilleries also that, you know, if you say, hey, I'm going to start a distillery and I'm only going to use my own juice. Well, then you're not selling anything for four plus years. Right. And so 
almost all of them, almost all of them, start by buying some juice from someone else. And, you know, they, they still know enough about what they're doing that they they fit a taste profile. But uh, but then they're uh, then they're while they're getting their stuff aged, you know, while they're distilling and aging in barrels and all of that, you know, will it uh, is, you know, a fairly well known brand They're They're not a major, but they're they're up there. And and uh, I think we've we've had it on the show. Um, yeah, we've I've been there. It. Yeah. Yeah. And. But for the longest time, they weren't using their own their own stuff, their own distilled juice. And so I, I think even their main bourbon, their pot still bourbon, you know, I had one that, you know, I, that I knew wasn't produced by them. And then the next bottle of that I bought was. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't do a side by side comparison because this one was gone. <laughs> but that but that would have been interesting to see where it is. But the whole idea is. How do we reduce the risk? Well, we'll start mm-hmm. buying juice and, yeah. you know, trying to make sure it tastes like what we want ours to taste like uh, while we're building our brand and our making our product. Yeah. The one tip off, I'm not saying this was the case at Willet, but if you go to a distillery that you know has only been in business five years and they're selling a 10 year aged whiskey, they're not time travelers. They've bought stuff that's older and it, and it could be delicious. And, you know, there's some art and skill Let's say if they age it a little more, they secondary, you know, use a secondary barrel. Blending is an art. Blending you know, so is absolutely an art. Yep. And and so blending and just barrel selection, there's mm-hmm. there's quite a bit to that, which is why these single barrels and distiller, just you know, master distillery, uh, distiller picks are are quite popular because they're like, oh yeah, that guy has a yeah, that guy has a nose for the right barrel, and so if they if they pick that barrel, then that's a good barrel. It's worth yeah. tasting. So I think the 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 different themes here tonight ended up we connected the dots. I think better than uh, I thought we did, or you know I thought we would. Um, but you know maybe the last thing we were talking about that leads up to a, a closing fun question: talking about experiments and trying new things, and for what purpose. Um, we want to thank Dan Markovitz, a friend of ours, for sharing a story from NPR, and I'm sure it's in other sources, about fighting intensive crabs with whiskey. What does that mean? Are you going to try to poison them with whiskey? Well, no. Um, but I guess there are these green crabs, a, 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 a dreadfully invasive species. That's a huge problem. It's eating a lot of clams and mussels. Um, so there's a, a distiller, Tamworth Distilling. Um, Will Robinson decided to tackle the invasive species by bottling them. So it says, and I started getting repulsed hearing this. He distills crab stock in a vacuum still and then adds spices, and which is then mixed with bourbon to create a product. So um, there was somebody, uh, I think, on the um, kind of nature expert side talking about how bad the species was. And and she said, so even though crab whiskey alone can't fix the problem, she hopes it helps by raising awareness. So they had some good PR people and, and, and this is on the national news. So I guess the closing fun question is, Jamie, would, would you drink this? <laughs> well, I, I, I found it interesting, uh, you know, in the little interview with the guy, 
he, he said, well, people are skeptical, but once they try it, they, they come around to it for the most part. <laughs> Here you have a chance to be like, right. you know, you've like 15 seconds to celebrate what you're doing. And you're kind of like, you still uh-huh. pull your punches, which makes me think it ain't so hot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I have to say there's no chance of me buying it. Um, I, 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 I don't like gimmicks that much anyway. Yeah. Sometimes I even wonder if secondary finishing is a gimmick, and it's not, right? We just talked about it, and it's great, but, you know, it, I, I'm not a big fan of gimmicks. Um, I Would I even try a free sample in a store? I, I'd, probably, <laughs> I'd probably think twice um, be, before doing that. If a friend poured a, poured a glass for me, um, I, I, would, I, would, I would take a sip. Um, I would drink yeah. it out of at least politeness. Um, <laughs> But uh, but it does not, you know, uh, they didn't even make it sound appealing and they're the ones ones trying to sell it. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, do do people now think that an electronic solution to help with continuous improvement is a good idea? Uh, For the most part. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully. Would you drink it? Would you drink it? Would you stock it? Would you give give it to friends? I, I would not buy a bottle of it without tasting it first. So there there's back to that idea of a small test of change. Um, I, it is, I think ideal if you can, if you can taste something and decide if it works for you before committing to a bottle. So would I try a sample at a store or in a tasting room somewhere? Probably. I don't know if I would have a strong hypothesis that I would like it. So then I don't know if being biased against it, means, you know, I mean, you could be pleasantly surprised, but I, I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't buy a bottle. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that risk as much as I guess, you know, I mean, I'm in favor of not destroying native mussel and crab crops and the impact that has on the environment and the seafood industry and, and what have you. But yeah, I did, I did have an opportunity recently though. There's a, a place across the river from Cincinnati called the old Kentucky bourbon bar and you can do flights. And uh, maybe this is a pandemic law loosening where there was one that I had in that flight. Uh, it was a, a wild Turkey. Uh, it was a, they call it Kentucky spirit. So it's kind of a higher end wild Turkey. That was a, a barrel pick of theirs. And I tried it and like, that was by far the standout of the three in the flight. Well, I could buy a bottle and take that home. So we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I might not, I, I, I don't dislike wild turkey, but I, I might not have taken the plunge on a $85 bottle of whiskey without tasting it first. Right, right. Especially if it just says wild turkey, because there's a wide range of coming out of turkey. And, and um, yeah, and that's, you know, I, I, I know a lot of, you know, in those areas, there's a lot of store picks, right, and, or, or, or bar picks, and they... They, they they pick a barrel and then they bottle it and they 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 sell it in a flight and they sell it uh, sell it by the bottle. But yeah, I think it's a great a great scheme, a great opportunity. And and if this was really you know saving the environment through whiskey, that, that'd be one of one thing. But of course, it was just a PR PR stunt, if you will, and it got them on NPR. And so you know, good for them, right? I'm right. Glad they, they certainly found an angle that uh, uh, got them on NPR talking about this this real this real problem. 
So the lesson learned is we need to make a Kinexus bourbon. Kinexus bourbon. Um, <laughs> it's virtual. It's uh, no, it's not going to work. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see if you get you submit your fifteenth improvement, you get a bottle. <laughs> um, we'll see how that goes. So so yeah, thanks for coming on and and uh, yeah. chatting tonight sharing your uh your 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 podcast and you know lots of great stories coming out uh of of my favorite mistake um you know, it's amazing you're on you know we're still on episode 34 of this but that was episode 172 so yeah uh, you've 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 really been prolific with that so well i i think my guests and i'm thankful that people are willing to talk about mistakes publicly that was that was the risk. I mean, it wasn't a huge risk, right? It wasn't like the risk of building a giant factory. If I started this podcast and I couldn't get more than a handful of people to talk about mistakes, well, it would have just ended. But Yep. All right. So uh, just a reminder to folks, um, if uh, they want to you know, listen more, um, go to leanwhiskey.com, uh, spelled K-E-Y or K-Y, uh, either, either spelling works. I, I, um, I need to get used to now that I'm going back to Scotland. I need to be spelling it whiskey with KY at the end as they do. Yes. Yes. And, and all your, your, uh, your proper Scottish uh, uh, toasts um, yeah. say things properly. So uh, uh, you can also visit either of our websites, uh, you know, com slash lean whiskey or for Mark leanblog.org slash lean whiskey. And you can find us. Uh, I mean, if you're listening to us, you've already found us. But if you found us on the web, let's say, you can also find us in all of the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And please do, you know, rate us, review us, give us feedback, you know, follow, uh, you know, hit the little notification bell, whatever, whatever that is. And, uh, uh, for, for your listen. And um, yeah, it, you know, it helps other people find it. Uh, we love the feedback, any of your comments, write us an email. Uh, please, please engage with us any way you can. Yeah. And I, I should mention also, and maybe we'll, we'll put this into our standard work. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you want to see our faces. And uh, if you don't just listen, you, you can listen through your podcast app. <laughs> Absolutely. So until next time, Mark, cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. And again, happy third birthday to the podcast. Happy birthday. Yeah.